Gordon. Morning, Dr. Shaffer. How are you? Turn, turn your video off. <laughs> uh, hold on, I didn't know how to do this. I'm walking on two speeds. Wait a minute. Uh, turn off the video. There we go. There we go. There we go. There we go. It's not that we don't want to see you. It's that we don't, we don't, this is a podcast. You know, I know that. You know that. <laughs> do you listen to podcasts, Gordon? I have on some occasions. Good. So you wouldn't describe yourself as a fan? Um, I'm not a fan or not a fan. I'm just not intense. A bit like I don't go to many soccer matches, but I'm still a fan. So I, just I, one I, of these things. Yeah. I like it. I like and it. A, and more importantly, I'm a fan of you, Dr. Schaffner. So oh. That's, that's what's bet, really important here. I, I bet you say that to all the <laughs> podcast hosts who, who invite you on their podcast. To be no, honest, he doesn't I, because he only I, said it to you. Absolutely. I can say this on certainty. I've only ever said that to all the podcast hosts I really like. So. Oh. Oh. Anyway, so. I'm enjoying my cup of tea and it's early in the morning here. That's perfect. Great. That's good. Well, well, it's you know what? I think it's early in the morning where I am too. And Ben, is it early where you are too? It's still it's the same early as as the two of you. <laughs> so, but that still makes it early. Yeah, it's still early. It's still yeah. early. We can't uh, all it, be wrong. No, exactly. And uh, I, 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 uh, I, I, this morning I had uh, two children to get up and get ready for school, and then um, drive one to the bus stop because it was too cold this morning. So I've had a full hour of acclimatizing to this earliness, which is not normal. So, so who decides it's too cold? Well, I, it was, this My was, a suspicion it was some child. It was a child and, and me. It meant, uh, so if I walked him to the bus stop, um, then I would have, also have to walk home and get in my car and drive to my office where we're recording the podcast. And so it made more sense for him to say, ah, it's too cold. And me be the best dad ever and say, you know what? It is kind of cold today. Why don't you get in my car? Ben, have you forgotten what it was like living in Canada? I I was going to say, what you should have son, you you should have Canadian shamed him and said, (laughs) (laughs) you got Canadian blood in your, in your veins. No, no, no. See, it doesn't take long to, to fully forget what it's like. And then, yeah, live, live in the, in the South. Uh, and, and that, there was frost on my car this morning, which is the first time since uh, since last year. It was the coldest coldest day of the year so far. So you poor thing, my heart's yeah. bleeding. And you terrible, know, terrible. And you know what the best thing is, Gordon, is that his kids now make fun of his accent. I think I think that's that's <laughs> really the the justified payment for for moving uh, out of Canada. Yeah, absolutely. Um, it, when, especially when we say things like. Uh, project, or as Danny and I have pronounced it uh, recently, project. Oh no! And, oh no! That's both, like produce. Oh no! Yeah, and, and both kids look at me and they're like, "What do you? What, what does that? What does that mean? What are you saying?" <laughs> yeah, and process instead of process. process can't say that. Produce yeah. instead of produce. Produce. I see. I don't even know how you say it now. I know. I know. It's crazy. It's crazy. Well, Gordon, welcome to uh, welcome to the show. This is the show. This is, this is this is the show, and I've yeah. only been waiting three years. So it's it's um, another thing off my bucket list. On the upside <laughs> is, on the upside is, the next one on my bucket list is winning the lottery. So oh, well. once, we, once we get this over, I'm heading out to buy some lottery tickets. Because <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, if I'm working through it in that kind of way, I'm thinking, okay, this week's lottery could be mine. Yeah, so, right, but right. No, thank you for the um, thank you for the invitation. Eventually. Um, 
Well, well you know, it still could be rescinded at any moment, Gordon. <laughs> I, I, we could do that. You know, we we've done we've done lots of episodes without you. We we can we can just keep on going right without you. I have one button here I can click, and you'll be gone. I'm fully expected to be edited out. And actually, my my partner said, "And make sure you don't swear like I would." <laughs> well, yeah. So we uh, we we have. So I don't know. Again, you, you being that you don't know much about podcasts, podcasts can either have an explicit rating or a not explicit rating. And we generally go for the not explicit rating, so people can listen. You know, with around around children. <laughs> so it's a they, show for kids. Too. Oh um, yeah. 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 Okay. I'm glad, I'm glad you told me that. <laughs> Complete, completely changes my tact. <laughs> <laughs> but but don't feel – I don't want you to feel inhibited because we do have uh, very sophisticated editing, editing tools where we can go back and, you know, if a, if a, if a you know, a curse word if slips out. Yeah, we could, we could, we could, you know, we could, we could go in and fix that in post, as they say. That's what we say Excellent. in the business. We say fix that in post. In the business. I like that. Yeah. In the, in the uh, podcasting sphere. <laughs> um, I had – so – I've been I've been ill the last couple of days. Oh, you may you may hear in my in my voice a little bit. I've I've been uh, sniffly and and uh, all stuffed up because you know it is it's cold here and, and it's uh, flu season. Um, but I had I've been taking uh, some uh, some drugs at, at night to help me sleep, and I've had some crazy dreams, including one that relates to our podcast a little bit. Oh, where yeah. So, so this, I guess last night I had it in my mind that this is, was the thing that was happening when I woke up this morning is the three of us were going to go record a podcast. Somehow, um, what got integrated into my, my dream world was that at the same time we would be recording this podcast, we would also be hosting an elementary school trip to watch what a podcast making session is like which is not very exciting because it was just me sitting in a room uh, talking into a microphone and no one else could hear what was going on on the other side. Um, and uh, one, one child said, and this is not, it wasn't my own, it wasn't like bring my kids to the podcast day or anything like that. But I, I really, you know, those dreams go, I only remember a couple of things. But one thing that stuck out this morning is that one of the children said, that he was going to burn down my website because it sucked <laughs> because he couldn't hear the podcast, which he thought was a website and, and obviously said that he was going to burn it down, um, which you, you can't really do to, to websites, um, <laughs> which was awesome. So I just, I have this vision of my kid, uh, this kid this morning, three or four times saying, I'm going to burn down your website. <laughs> you say that Dr. Chapman, but with net neutrality and what's going on in your country, who knows what's going to happen to your websites? It's true. They may be burned down. Yeah. Well, at least and we'll I, still have our blog. Yeah. Oh, oh, and I pray every night for that. Thank you for reminding me. <laughs> You're welcome. You're right. I go I go to sleep with that in my mind. <laughs> we'll we'll always have our blog. <laughs> we will. We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll all of we'll always have Paris. <laughs> oh. <laughs> What you want to talk about? Let's let's chat. You can tell me what's going on because I haven't haven't seen either of you in person for such a long time. Because obviously, Ben, you seem to be banished from Canada. Thanks, um, yeah. Doctor Dr. Shaffner's actually visited us in our home um, way more than you have since you've gone. Just you know, if I'm looking at favourites here, Ben, just remember. <laughs> yeah. Okay. See, see okay. Ben, Ben, we we visited way more because you visited zero, and I visited. We visited once, and so we're yeah. infinitely more visiting than you. Absolutely. 
I, but, I believe I visited twice, uh, so I think I think I'm actually winning. But I'm not. I mean, no. you don't take. Yeah, but in terms of um, chronological. Oh, okay, fair enough. Oh, oh, we visited most recently. Oh, wow, most recently. Yeah. Oh, but we're behind. We got to have another visit. Then we're losing. You should. We're yeah, losing absolutely. the visit competition. Any any time, you know where we are. We're ten minutes from the airport. Get on that plane. All your frequent flyer miles, Doctor Schaffner. You guys should be first class everywhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. But I see you jetting all over, so you must be gathering something for it. Uh, yes, apart I did. From the fa- apart from the fame and notoriety, obviously. <laughs> well, actually, Ben and I, we could, we could talk about this. Ben and I just recently got back. We both were at uh, the uh, Dubai uh, Food Safety Conference, which I think Lord, I know. you have also attended. A couple of times. And actually, Ben and I attended that together, and we stopped Khloe Kardashian in we Dubai. We, yes. So, so there's a whole other story. So, but yes, the last time Ben and I were in Dubai together, as well, was Khloe Kardashian. I, and I'm I, not saying it was linked. Well, but, because yeah. we can't. We can't we say can, it was linked. Well, yeah. we can, because it's not like it's unusual for people to lie. No, no, I mean, like, so. because we're not allowed. Oh, I see. Okay. <laughs> All right. So, so there, I've just got to be very... Is there or is there not a Khloe Kardashian story? Because if there is a story, I think the listeners would like to hear it. No, well, the Khloe Kardashian story and, and Ben's lovely wife, Danny, is going to kill me for this, but that's okay. Um, I believe, and I don't know, it might have been mentioned on your podcast, because I say I haven't listened to, I'm going to say that many. Um, so, but the Kardashians, and I believe keeping up with Kardashians and things, is uh, one of Danny's guilty pleasures. Yes, uh, yeah, absolutely. So when Danny, we told, or Ben told Danny that... Um, we believed that Khloe Kardashian was there. And Ben being the dutiful husband and me loving Danny probably more than Ben does, to be honest, because she's one of the nicest people I know. Um, I said, if she tells us we have to stalk Khloe Kardashian, we just have to stalk her and get a picture. So we did. We were running all over the Dubai Mall trying to get past security just so we could take a picture for Danny um, to further feel her guilty pleasure. But that's the whole story. Um, but the fact is that we just guessed that they were more there for the food safety conference and, and all these people were more interested in food safety. Um, but yeah, there's no, there's no big story. It's just feeding someone's guilty pleasure, feeding an addiction. You know what it's like. <laughs> so that's, that's the whole thing. Okay. And, and, and Ben, when you see Danny, when you go home, tell her I apologize for, for um, podcast shaming her. No, she's going to love it. She will she yeah, totally she, love it. She doesn't listen. It's okay. Yeah. <laughs> my mom, my mom listens, but, uh, but... On the podcast or at home. Right, right. It's, yeah, it's, it's convenient. Don't, okay, perfect. Let's not get them... We won't even get it confused. Listen okay. to one and not the other. <laughs> so how was Dubai? Hot. It was lovely. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was good. It was a good conference. Anything, anything interesting come out that we should be aware of? Here in the... Here in the at the coal face of food manufacturing, it was uh, things are things are hot. Um, the but there are buzzwords, a lot of buzzwords. Uh, okay. I, I heard uh, blockchain. Uh, I heard uh, I heard big big data. I heard trends. Um, I heard maybe oh, the whole genome sequencing. Maybe, oh, whole genome sequencing. Yes. Um, maybe my favorite is uh, the the quote. I, I think it is that. Um, Blockchain will do for food safety what email did for communication. But make uh, everybody offend everybody well, in short bursts. Oh, what I said is just bring everything <laughs> to a complete stop. Yeah. <laughs> so I can tell you about blockchain because this is something obviously as a manufacturer we've been inundated with. Yeah. Well, tell tell us tell us. Well, so, so, so this well, is my, my take okay. on it is 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 um, 
in in theory, first of all, let's do the theory. In theory, anything that can improve traceability, improve accountability, has got to be in principle a good thing. There's a couple of <coughs> there's a couple of challenges here. First of all, someone has to pay for it. Okay, it won't be it won't be done for free. Okay, and I can tell you who's not paying for it. Okay, it's not the retailers and it's not the consumers. Okay, the people who will pay for it will be the manufacturers and the growers because that's where it always runs rolls downhill to that point. Uh, so first of all, there will be a cost. Okay, food safety, as everybody should be aware, doesn't come for free. There's there's one of the myths that people think that you get all this for nothing. So this is yet another cost that someone has to bear. So at some point, it has to manifest itself. Manufacturers are obviously making a certain level of profit, but but profits will be taken out. I mean, I looked today on 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 the internet here in Canada, and it's it's tragic. The um, there's an increase in suicide rates amongst farmers in, in Quebec. Um, it's gone up again. And people at the front end of, of, of food growing and food production are under an inordinate amount of pressure. Um, and, and it seems that they get almost no relief from that. So as, as an idea, it's fantastic, but the cost will have to be stat- stood somewhere. And then the, the other thing is, and linking blockchain to data, it's only as good as the data that someone inputs for the first time. So it still relies on an integrity. So not that I would personally do this, so just as I preface this. And before I go on, I should say that, um, of course, my my company know I'm doing this uh, podcast and they're very happy for me to to do all of this. Um, These are my opinions and not necessarily reflect my my boss. I better say that because um, otherwise I could be looking for for a job in another time. So, but, you know, the fact is it will have to cost somewhere. You put the data in. If the person decides, you know what, I'm going to say that these melons were organically grown or, you know, this corn is non-GMO, um, and that's what I input into the system, we will then trace that. That's what we will do, okay? But we still have the human error. And sadly, if we look at all the food fraud that's going on, it's intentional, People are intentionally passing off horse meat as beef. People are intentionally passing off flavoured sugar as honey. So what's to stop someone intentionally claiming that something is organic um, or not, or something was GMO or not? So the whole thing still relies on a level of integrity. And until we can actually make sure that we're paying people appropriately for their services and we're paying people appropriately for the, the foods that they make and grow, then there will always be people who are out there trying to make a quick buck. And authenticity will always be a problem. So blockchain is great. And, and I've seen a demonstration um, of what it can do and how quickly it can do it. But, but I still have a fear that what it will do is it will help us that are doing it well, do it slightly better. But people who are consciously doing it badly will still do it badly and will still find a way. And until we actually make it way more punitive um, for people who are found guilty of that type of thing, then we will always have scope for food fraud. And, and that's where I still would like to see a lot more work being done in that area. So in principle, a great idea, but I still have some concerns about, one, the cost, and two, if someone wants to defraud the system, they will find a way because clearly and sadly that's how criminals work. So that's my two cents worth on on, on that. 
Good. Well, well, thank you for that, and and it's uh, and thank you for sharing also um, that your boss knows that you're doing this because we have been calling you by your actual name, um, and, uh, uh, and 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 we would have to go back and, and fix that, uh, edit, edit that out. But but so and we will. <clears throat> We will most assuredly link to your uh, LinkedIn profile. But Gordon, I think for the listeners that don't know you, and I'm sure there's a very small fraction of our listener base that have not already heard of you, but for those two or three people um, that are not aware of your, um, your, your amazingness, um, could you, could you f- for a few minutes, just uh, tell us your background and how you came? Well, first of all, how you came to Canada, I think is interesting, but also how you came to food safety. Sure. So, and thank you for that. So, um, I, to be honest, I've only ever wanted to work in, in food. Um, going back to when I studied it, my older brother, who, who um, sadly passed a couple of years ago, was a very, uh, a truly excellent chef. And he won a big award and there was a presentation at the College of Food Technology. Um, and we got to go as a, a family to visit and see him getting his award. And they gave us a tour of the, the facility and, you know, you see a kitchen and you see a cooker and you think, okay, that's a kitchen, that's a cooker. And then they took us into the food processing area and he said, and this is where we can make canned soups and this is where we can make ice cream and this is where we can make dehydrated um, powders and coffees and stuff. And I was just completely engaged. It was it was real a real light bulb moment. So from that point, I ever actually only ever applied to university for to study food technology. Um, so studied food tech, and then first job was with Coca Cola Schweppes. So, so sorry, where did you where did you study food tech? Glasgow, Glasgow College of Food Technology. Oh, that's why you talk funny. <laughs> that's why I talk properly. Yeah. So, and I'll be able to pronounce all those words that you want to know how they pronounce. Okay? Yeah. Um, but the problem with coming from Glasgow, of course, is Glasgow and Scottish people do swear, and that's why Andrew um, said make sure you don't swear because we just can drop in the the f bomb. Um, without realizing it so and that's why I'm glad you've got your editing suite um, so yes I studied at Glasgow and then my first uh, job in food technology was at Coca-Cola Schweppes in London uh, so I moved to London in the 80s that was super exciting um, both um, academically it was fun work was fun socially it was fun being in London in the 80s because uh, I'm a big fan of, of 80s music and stuff so that was great and then did a couple of jobs in London and ended up working for the environmental health department in one of the London boroughs as a, a technical specialist long before um, long before they did that normally um, typically at that time they were employing people who had studied environmental health and the challenge they had there was they were trying to do a bit of everything. They were trying to do public health, noise, nuisance, that type of thing. So they decided they wanted some food focus. So I did that for a while. Um, and then my partner at that time got a job offer to move out of London. So we did. Um, and ended up working in, really, that was what got me into food safety auditing. So I, um, I worked for a company that did lots of food safety auditing. Again, long before it was popular um, and, and long before it was done to death. And then... I did that for quite a while, and then that I decided that after doing that, I um, we moved, and um, I'm not going to bring anyone down, but sadly, um, my, my previous partner passed away um, 21 years ago, uh, so I decided it was time for a career change, and I had seen the job advertised at the University of Wales, and I had been to three universities by this time, um, and I thought, do you know what, I fancy doing that, so I applied and I got the job at the University of Wales at UIC, which is now Cardiff Met. Um, and I taught there for 10 years. Um, and and a bit like uh, Ben and yourself, you, you get to do an interesting portfolio of stuff. You do some research, do some consultancy. 
um, and, and teaching profile. But then I decided that I didn't see myself retiring from at that or in that career. So I saw a job advertised with Tata and, and a very large Indian company, uh, Tata Global Beverages. Um, and so I ended up going back into manufacturing. And then my partner, Andrew, um, is also a food safety uh, person. We were at the IAFP conference in Anaheim. Is that the California one around, I don't know, eight or nine years ago? You guys were both there. Yeah. Anyway, we were in Anaheim. And Andrew saw a job advertised for Maple Leaf Foods here in Canada. Maple Leaf, as everybody knows, had the terrible uh, situation where they had killed, um, I think it was 23 people, uh, through really poor safety management and so on. And so he was very interested in that job and applied and got it. And so I gave notice and I came to Canada. So we came and joined the, we joined the brain drain. And since I've been in Canada, I've been, uh, I worked for a company that does auditing, SEI Global. They are one of the largest um, food safety auditing uh, service providers. And then about five years ago, I was headhunted to come to Trophy Foods and Trophy Foods in Canada because there is a trophy company in the U.S. that's nothing to do with us. In the U.S., we trade as Redland Food Corp, uh, but Trophy Foods here in Canada. And I was brought here about five years ago, and my job is to continue to make sure we improve our food safety controls and, and have the highest standards, and, and it's fantastic. And Canada, I love. I'm currently um, filling in the forms for my Canadian citizenship. So I, I absolutely love it here. So I can understand why people, um, you know, leave Canada like uh, Dr. Chapman did. But me personally, I, I love it here and I have no intention of leaving. So that gets me here. In terms of knowing you two, uh, gentlemen, again, Ben will remember the actual conference. My first IFP was in 2000, but Ben and I spoke immediately after, well, next to each other at a session in an IFP, and I want to say San Diego. I think so, uh, yep. yeah. And I think it was also Ben's first ever public performance. It was. And he was very nervous, and with my se warped sense of humor, and and now I've mentioned, now I've mentioned which IFP was, people can look it up, but I don't care, I guess, we're too long past that. Um, but there was a couple of people speaking on that panel, and they were pretty awful. And I said to Ben, unless we actually die up there, we won't be the worst speakers today. Um, and Ben completely got my humor. And we became very firm friends almost immediately. Um, and that was it. So, And then I think probably around the same time I, I met yourself, uh, Don, um, again, probably having a drink somewhere and putting the food safety world to right. And, and, and that's it. So that's how I got to be um, so involved in food safety. And that's how I'm, I feel very fortunate to have a great network of, of food safety specialists that um, I enjoy. And the IFP was instrumental in that. I haven't been for a few years for a couple of reasons, the programs don't suit and, and so on. But um, I, I think it's a, a fantastic um, organization and great networking. So that gets me to Canada and I'm loving it. Even the cold I can cope with. There we go. <laughs> <laughs> well, very good. So, actually, one um, one recurring topic uh, on the podcast, which we haven't talked about for a while, but you mentioned it several times, is auditing. And um, there is a uh, a paper that we often link to uh, that uh, Ben is a co-author on. Uh, his uh, his PhD advisor Doug Powell is also a co-author on, um, which talks about some of the and as well as some other folks. And we will find it. and We'll link to it. But um, uh, 
uh, talks about some of the problems with auditing. And since, and since you um, now don't work for an auditing company, but you have a ton of auditing experience, can you, can you give us your perspective on uh, whether audits work, uh, whether they make food safer? Are there, what, are, what, in your perspective as someone who has, who has been uh, for many years working in the auditing industry, what are the, what are the, what are the, the pluses and, and, and also what are the weaknesses and what are some of the flaws in, in auditing? Great question. So I've, I've read that paper. I've actually cited it as well. So um, I, I, I have spent some time with it. So, um, and, and it has, it's a good paper at, at so many levels. Um, the audits do make food safety better, generally, okay, for, for two reasons. One, because it's a different pair of eyes looking at stuff. That's the first thing. And the second thing is, and whether it's a good thing or not, people are anticipating and getting ready for audit which means they are actively taking steps to improve things that perhaps, and, and, and we can argue and say, well, they should have been improved a week ago or a month ago, and I don't disagree with that. But nonetheless, without knowing the audit is happening, these things might be left unaddressed for longer. So at least at some level, we will improve areas. Okay? So it does work. The problem um, and, and the reason people criticize it, and, and, and to be honest, and, and I've actually been on Barth blog and, and um, someone has made a comment, and I, I've challenged some of the comments, because I always find the people who criticize them often have never actually done any audits. I always worry about that. It's me, it's like me criticizing the space program. I've never been an astronaut. I don't feel qualified to, to talk about it. So I always find that people have opinions, and we all know everyone has an, has an opinion. Um, but I'd like it some, some validity from someone who's actually been there and done it before I, I really pay a great deal of attention to it. The reason that they fail is because the auditors have insufficient time and have a job to do. And there is sadly an expectation from the audit companies, the certification bodies, that the auditors will try and cover 250 individual clauses in two or three days. And it's impossible. I, I, I wouldn't even anticipate to do the, the, well, we would call it arithmetic, we would call it the math. Um, I wouldn't even anticipate doing that. But that's a couple of minutes per clause. You're not going to find anything significant there. So unfortunately, what's happened is the people who are specifying the audit and who want to use the audit want the auditor to try and do this massive broad brush um, approach and unfortunately, it doesn't leave enough time to, to dig in areas where you then feel there may be any, an issue worth challenging. So unfortunately, if you're auditing against a specific standard, that's, that's the challenge. It's, it's, it's time constrained. So audits <clears throat> will absolutely make a difference. Now, here at Trophy Foods, um, one of the criticisms I've always had of audits is, you know, when the audit's happening. And therefore, it's a bit like, and you both have visited my house. And when you were both in my house, you'd have thought, oh, look how tidy Gordon's house is. Okay. That's because I knew you were coming. Okay. So there was no dishes in the sink. Okay. And, and, and all of that. And maybe the, you know, all the, the teacups that were lying on the, co the coffee tables and stuff, they had all gone. So I knew you were coming. Okay. But fundamentally, you also recognize I didn't paint my house from top to bottom. So there's a certain amount of things I will do and companies will do. And you can do it short notice to prepare for an audit. But if you're fundamentally flawed, if your food safety system is flawed and the auditor is any good, and that's part of the story, 
they will find the flaws if they're just allowed the chance to develop it. Trophy Foods, one of the, one of the requirements for me to take the job here was that my boss um, agreed that all our food safety audits, we are BRC um, certified, the, the Global Food Standard for Food Safety, um, we are BRC certified and it was a requirement for me to take the job that they agreed that we would have all our audits unannounced. Okay? So we do. And I have been out in the country twice now uh, when the audits happened on this site, simply because we didn't know what was happening, but unannounced, the clue's out there somewhere. Um, and that's what we do. And with our unannounced audit scheme, the auditor arrives on site, they have to be at the manufacturing parts of the plant within 30 minutes. So there's only a, a very limited amount of stuff that you could do in 30 minutes. And I believe that proper unannounced audits is the next step. And I do find it concerning that we talk about global standards, but Walmart in the UK specify all audits to be unannounced in the UK. So if you're a Walmart supplier in the UK, you have to have unannounced audits. But they don't have the same specification here in North America or in the Middle East or in Australia and so on. So again, we, if we're talking about a global food safety approach, we need to get it better. But unannounced audits is absolutely the way to go and give auditors the time to properly investigate. And, and let's not waste time duplication. The, the number of audits that come to, to our premises, and they all look at some of the basic prerequisites. And I don't know how many times people need to inspect our pest control book. Okay, we have a bait plan. We have regular visits. We follow up actions. Every auditor will spend 30 minutes looking at this instead of asking questions around, pest conditions, how you might deal with an infestation, any signs, any symptoms, any complaints. Have you had complaints about, you know, insects in, in your product or so on? And again, we, we just need to use the time much better as opposed to everybody trying to replicate. Because that was the theory of having audits was that we would avoid duplication. But sadly, we still get it. Everyone asks about your food safety policy. It's, it's words on a page. And I'm not saying it's not important. Of course it is. It, it, it's your raison d'etre. But the fact is, our policy is there. We want to make food safe. We want to be a good supplier. We want to use trained staff. The policy, read it, but, but go and watch us live it. That's what I need you to do as an auditor. Don't sit in an office and ask me to bring lots of forms to you to look at. You're not adding any value if, if you're doing that. Go and speak to my people on the floor. Ask them what they do. Ask them what they do in event of machine breakdown. So good auditors is, is the premium. And there are some great ones, and sadly there are some not great ones. And, and I think that's a problem. But it's in any discipline, you both work in universities, there are some great professors and not so great professors. You know, there are great doctors right. and not so great doctors. So I, I don't think you can criticize a whole um, industry on the performance of one or two people. So the person who audited and, and again it gets cited all the time the pca issue or the cantaloupe melon ones you'll tell me jensen farms okay those people get singled out for you know really they, they should have found this they should have, and maybe they should and maybe they shouldn't but that doesn't tar a whole industry and i say i think people need to spend a bit more time at the coal phase actually working these long hours and working these long shifts to really get a feel for it because everybody can sit back and criticize. It's fantastic. I would love that job. Just sit back and tell everybody how terrible they are. 
Okay? Well, and in, in, in many ways, you have that job already. I do, and I don't. <laughs> I, I do. I, I can tell people how terrible they are, but then I have to fix it. Okay? Right. And, and that's and that's actually, and, and, and we touched on IFP. One of the reasons I've not gone to IFP for such a long time is what I was finding, I was finding all of the presentations and all of the seminars were talking about problems. And I want solutions. I don't need to hear yet again how listeria is a problem in a cold environment, in drains and so on. What I want is a solution that says, and this is how you can manage it. And this is the type of chemical that will give you a, a good chance of reducing it. And these are some of the areas that we tend to find pockets and, and biofilm build up and so on. I want solutions. So I'm very lucky. You're right. I'm very lucky to do what I do. I, I get to see stuff at the sharp end. But I also get the responsibility to address it because my job is we um, trophy foods for those that, that don't know we make snacks and nuts and so on um, and great stuff and i and, and actually ben you haven't seen me for a while uh, dr shaffner has but i probably put on 40 pounds since i started eating all these <laughs> chocolate almonds they're, they're quite unbelievably delicious and all the stuff that we make um and, and I hear both of you have lost a lot of weight, which is another reason I'm not coming to IFP until I'm, I'm skinny like uh, the rest skinny bitches in, in, in IFP. So, um, but no, like I watch, I go to the supermarket and I see people putting our products in their car and I think that person's going to feed that to their kids. They're going to feed it to their family. Um, you know, that's going in the lunchbox for, for some, some, some child to take to school. They're going to be snacking on that, watching the, 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 the game, whether it's a hockey. And I think my whole job is to make sure that that's a pleasure and that won't be the last thing that they do and that won't be the last thing they consume. So it's, there's a lot of pressure on people at the coalface and at the front end. And, and for people to think that we're all, we spend our whole time trying to somehow deceive auditors that we're not doing it right, to, to spend time deceiving people and, and putting things in place to fake it, you might as well just do it properly. And that's what I find laughable when people will criticise. Of course not everybody gets it right. And of course we could all do better. But to somehow think we spend as much time trying to defraud or trying to con you as we do getting it right, you do us all a disservice and you insult us all. Because the fact is, I my whole job is thinking that today... Some families eating the products that we make and they're going to enjoy it. It's going to be a great experience. And I'm not going to get a phone call saying um, that your product has injured someone or someone, uh, God forbid, um, has, has been poisoned and, and has, has been killed because of anaphylaxis or, or, or some other um, failure to, to properly heat process or some of our nuts. So people doing this job, you're right, Don, I do get to do it. I also have to live it and, and I have to have the solutions and I have to have the drive to get it done. And, and actually, that's why I enjoy doing it, I have to say, because you do see the, the, the fruits of your labor. But, it, but it's not easy. And, and, and so when I read these criticisms and blog posts and, and websites that say how terrible everybody is, I'm thinking you wouldn't last 10 minutes doing it properly. Um, and actually, you know, there's evidence out there. We've seen people try it and, and fail. Um, but, but it's okay to it's okay to somehow criticize other people. And and we can do that as some things. I mean, I don't know, Ben, you, I know you're a hockey fan. I don't know, uh, Dr. Schaffner, what your, um, what your your sport that team is and so on. But as, as a fan, we can sit and criticize how terrible that hockey player is and so on. But we also know, if we're being honest, 
that if we were put in that position, we would be like a million times worse. So, you know, I, I think people have to be able to walk the walk if they're going to talk the talk. And, and that's why I, I, I like, and that's why I'm, I'm very grateful for the opportunity to be here to, to say, we love it. Please, you know, feed back to us what we need to do. But, but try walking a mile in, in my shoes. Actually, I've got very good shoes, so that's not easy. I've got very comfortable shoes. Try walking a mile in Kim Kardashian's shoes um, or Khloe Kardashian um, before you know what it's really like. So anyway, yeah. I could go on, and you've got me on my soapbox. Um, so, but I believe I haven't sworn. No, you're uh, good. Well, <laughs> I, I, so good. actually, what I meant was your job criticizing, like, who's qualified to come to karaoke. But I do appreciate the way that you spun that and, and, and talked about food safety. So, uh, so and as well. And, and yeah, yeah, but the whole karaoke thing, and, and that's why Ben was sacked as the vice president of entertainment, because he, he can't work out who's qualified to come right. to karaoke IFP. So that's why he was he was um, sacked, and and Renee um, Boyer was um, you know put as the vice um, vice chair in in place, and I believe we can congratulate her on her her new baby as well. So Indeed, um, I was very, I, haven't, I haven't seen her for such a long time. Um, I know when Renee was pregnant with her first child, um, I, I, the IFP prior to that she had a, a nacho addiction. Um, which I also quite like. So, so we were sitting poolside somewhere eating nachos. It was that was a great memory as well. So, congratulations to <laughs> to, to Renee on on her new baby. Excellent. Well, so okay, I wanna I wanna come back to to one of the. I don't want you to come off your soapbox yet. Okay. Because I have so so one of, one of the things that um, that we talk about in in the paper is is not so much just the. You know, like you said, the the limitations of an audit itself, but where where I see um, some of the issues, and I and I want to look to you for some solutions here, is as someone who is either requiring an audit for a supplier, or you are the supplier that's being audited, and you're presented with your audit results. One of the things that that we've kind of highlighted is what a business does with those audits matters. And this, this actually came from a conversation that you and I had um, when we put on a, a workshop in, in Dubai a few, a few years ago about auditing. And so what is, you know, what, what's the magic solution for you in, in your position when you receive an audit from you know, one of your, one of your nut suppliers, what are you looking for and what do you do? How do you use those results to make, to make your product safer and what, what, what can you share with, with others who might be struggling with that? Sure. And, and great question. So, um, and this is where, um, obviously I, I can't name any suppliers by name, but of course. In, yeah. in, in the, the theory. Okay. So you're, you're right. So we, as a company, we have a supplier approval system as, as we have to have as part of our own um, certification, but we've um, spent a lot of time, putting risk thinking behind that. So some of the types of things that we do as, as a company, as Trophy, we will look at what are the risks from this type of commodity, first of all. Secondly, are we going to manage those risks and do anything to change them ourselves? So, for example, if we are buying some nuts in, if we are then going to process them ourselves, we're going to roast them in some way or, or heat process them um, you know, a blanche or do something that, that will, will impact the, the, the microbial profile. Okay. We will consider those 
a slightly lower risk commodity than we will those that we're going to buy and use straight and put straight into a pack because we know the controls that we have in place and we can therefore manage. So we would say if we're buying a commodity to, to handle here, that supplier would not necessarily be a high-risk supplier to us because we can manage and control the risk from the product ourselves. Whereas if we're buying it to use straight into a pack, we would want a higher level of, of assurance. So that's the first thing. So we have to do our risk-based. Secondly, um, we then talk about the commodity. Some commodities and some of the things we buy are inherently um, have inherently higher risk than others. So you know, you're buying salt and you're buying sugar then we're not necessarily going to put the same level of effort into testing all of that when it arrives in as we would do um, a spice blend that may have a, a high seasoning component or some of the nuts that we buy in or some of the dried fruit uh, where we may have um, aflatoxin and other challenges. So again, knowing the risk profile of the commodity we're buying will impact what we're doing. So for all of these reasons, not all our suppliers... Um, have to have a GFSI uh, certification gotcha. because we also we also recognise um, if you take something like cashews, they're all grown in very small uh, farms and small holdings in, in places like Vietnam, and then it's combined together and then it's dealt with through a broker and so on. But we do approve the broker and we ask the broker to make sure that we know um, from the boxes of stuff that arrive here which small farm they came from. In the event we have a problem we would know um, things that were implicated. But again, we then process them. So we will look to the broker to have a level of control, what they're inspecting for. But we would do a lot of testing ourselves. So we, we're in, in, in our type of commodity. We will do a lot more testing than perhaps you would think, simply because of buying anything that's an agricultural or a horticultural product. We don't know everything that's gone on. We don't know what the crop season has been like. We don't know what fertilizers may or may not have been used and so on. Therefore, we want to do a lot more testing of the products ourselves. So not only we will get a certificate of analysis with a lot of consignments, but we will also verify components of that by having it independently tested. We will do testing ourselves. So we will have product arriving here with an aflatoxin status known. It's been tested, but we always check because we want to verify, and we use that not just for the product, but we use that to verify the integrity of the supplier. Because if we can consistently get close to the same results, we then have a level of confidence in that supplier that says, okay, maybe um, they can have a slightly less um, strict inspection protocol. We're not, we're not going to do nothing, but it allows us to target our resources. And a bit like any kind of risk assessment, you identify where your challenges are, and that's where you focus your effort. So we will apply those across. So those that do suppliers with an audit report, um, saying we are BRC, SQF, and, and, and all those other great standards, we are certified against them. I'm, I'm more interested in what they did to address the findings rather than the fact that they may have had a good pest control system. That's great. But you did have some non-conformances around your traceability, or you did have some non-conformances around some of the structural parts of your premises. So what have you done to address that? So I, when I get a report in and, and, and I get, well, it's true and it's me, so I can say it. I don't read the whole report. 
I look at the summary that tells me where the challenges were, and I look to see if I believe the level of control that the company have put in place to address that will actually work. So I, I'm I'm looking at a really strong root cause analysis and and hopefully seeing, you know, something in places. Yeah, if they do that well, it will absolutely control that risk, and and therefore I feel very comfortable buying from them because again we know some of the scoring systems um, in some of the audit standards. And again, I'm not singling any of them out because they're all good in all tools are good in the right hands, um, and, you know, and and it's. A, and, and I won't get into any kind of discussion around uh, guns and so on. But any tool in the right hands is a good thing. And any tool in the wrong hands is, is a danger. So if you have an audit um, and you score a percentage or you score a grade, I'll just make up a number. Let's say you score 97%. That's a pretty impressive result. Any, If, if your kids um, came back from school and they had 97% on a test, we would be filled. Or if, you know, you, you got... Can you imagine how lucky you've got a 97% pay rise? Um, I might fail and wake up in, 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 in a few days' time. But nonetheless, that's that's a fantastic result. But the challenge is, I want to know why you lost 3%. Is that a few very, very minor things? Or is that actually one thing that's, that could be quite significant and if left unattended could become a problem? So it's not so much the score that you got. I'm more interested in the score you didn't get. And so you had an A, and we've just had our, our audit at um, our Calgary facility. Uh, we have a couple of facilities here in Canada, again, unannounced. And they have yet again, and I'm thrilled to say, achieved uh, the grade AA plus. If you know the BRC standard, um, the plus symbol means you have your audits unannounced. Okay. They had an unannounced audit three days, and it was intense. Yeah. And they came out with that with only five minor non-performances, okay? And that's fantastic. But that's where our focus is. And every one of those non-conformances, I completely agreed that the auditor had made a great finding and we will work hard to put them right, to, to be better. So I'm glad that we complied with, you know, as much as we did. But where we as a company are focusing is let's make sure that those, um, those uh, items that were identified, and they were minor, but nonetheless, by by correcting them and putting a root cause in place, they will make us a much better company. So as a user of audit, for me, it's not just the grades to then show my customers, oh, yeah, we got this grade and we've won this award and aren't we wonderful? And that's that's certainly important. For me, it's okay. Those were findings. It was a clean pair of eyes, someone who doesn't know us inside out, and they were very legitimate observations, okay? And we sh we absolutely have to put it right. So so it's the same thing when someone supplies me with an audit report. I'm glad that you scored what you scored. I, I get it. But I'm also way more interested in what you're going to do to get it right. And in fact, one of the things that I would do away with, and I say that as the first ever, um, the, the VP of the first ever company in North America to ever get the BRC grade A plus, when that was the highest grade, and then the very first ever double A plus. So I'm very proud of what we've done. I personally would do away with gradings because the grade is a bit misleading in that it makes people think that things are fantastic. And what we're really interested in is whatever the auditor found, have you have you addressed it? Okay. And are you doing it properly? So that's where um, I want to see the focus more on what wasn't good and, you know, get that right. So 
I think I, I love getting the reports, but but it's more about fixing the findings rather than rather than um, you know rather than wondering and, and celebrating. And we celebrate success, um, and it's incredible. A very quick story, and I don't know how long you record. You can edit me out. But I negotiated with our factory staff here, so I came here. And I spoke to the operations and, and all our, our, our line workers, and, and we have some great people. And I said, I would like to get the first ever A-plus in the BRC. And, they, and it was fine. I said, and if we do, we'll celebrate. And, and it was literally the, the people on the, the floor said, okay, we would like a pizza party. That's fine. But then they were, I gave in too easy because said, but we want, and, and, and again, I don't know, I'm not promoting one over the other, but said, but we want Domino's pizza because we sometimes get these other ones. I won't say who they don't like. <laughs> um, we really want, I said, fine. Okay, so we did. We got our A plus and we had a pizza party. So I was speaking at the town hall after that and, and we were celebrating. I said, so next year there is this new grid available, double A plus. And if we, uh, if we get the double plus, we'll have a pizza party. And someone put their hand up at the town hall and said, Gordon, that's not fair. Said, well, why not? I said, well, because we got a pizza party for an A-plus. So, <laughs> right. uh, it's so, got to be better. Absolutely. Yeah. So I said, well, what's better than if we get the double plus, and Ben, you, you will fall. Um, if we get the plus, we want Swiss chalet. <laughs> so we did. And we had Swiss chalet party. But the point is that the people were engaged. And, and I thought, do you know what? Is that, what, is that all it costs me to get people engaged? And I promised to deliver. And when we got it, um, we delivered. We made a promise to people that we would have the party, we'd take a break from production and so on. And again, and now we have audits, and I, I'm very lucky, and I do feel very lucky as a VP of food safety in my company. Most of the people who work on our factory floor really at the front end, when the audit happens and they see the auditor, they will ask how it's going. They will even ask, is the auditor going to come to me and ask questions because I want to show them what we're doing and how I've done this. And I think, you know, and, and I've been here five years, but that's completely switched before everybody, it was eyes down, don't make eye contact. It was the ostrich approach. Oh, if, they can't, if I can't see them, maybe they can't see me. Now I have people saying, oh, well, the auditor went to line two, but he didn't come to our line. And I'll say, well, maybe he saw or she saw enough. Oh, well, we wanted to show him this or, uh, you know, tell him right. this. I said, I said, well, do you know what? There he's over there. Go and ask him and invite him. Because I know when I was auditing, if someone wanted to speak to me, I would be thrilled. Okay. So, again, and, and, and what it takes is the bribe with the pizza party or the Swiss chalet. And, and, and we also use the approach, and, and I've said this before, I think, we, we use the approach here when we do food safety training that we are everybody's mum and dad. Okay? We are feeding stuff to people who don't know us, to their children, to their family. And, and I say, imagine someone in another food company that you're going to buy their stuff today and you have to hope that they care about food safety as much as you do because you're going to feed whatever you put in your cart from that other company to your kids. So I said, look, we are everybody's mum and dad. We have to care about people we don't even know. They trust us. They feed our stuff to their wives and husbands and, and kids. Okay? So, and I said, imagine when you, the next time you put some cooked meat in your cart or a loaf of bread in your cart, imagine the people working in that factory and you have to believe that they care as much about you as you care about them. And, and that's how we've got people engaged. And, and so changing behaviours is not difficult. You just have to get people to, to really buy into it and, and, and get an understanding. Um, and I say, I'm very lucky 
but but it's not easy. But then good things are never are. But no, I, I feel very privileged and that I have some great people working here. So again, still on my soapbox, and I hope that answers a bit your question, Ben. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think what, one of the reasons that Don and I were excited to have you on is is you have this perspective that that we don't have, being that you work in in industry and you deal with this um, every day, and and we can. We can talk about it from a from a risk and from an academic sense, but uh, yeah, thanks for thanks for sharing and answering. Oh, all very happy. Yeah. yeah, and I, th- I think also, Gordon, your perspective is especially helpful to us because, yes, you, you have worked in industry for many years. You have this auditing experience, but you've also spent time um, at a university, right? And so you know kind of the way academics view the world, and so I think that that's especially helpful for sort of translating uh, that, that perspective. But uh, I want to I follow up with something that you, you mentioned a couple of times. You mentioned risk, and you, and you mentioned risk assessment. And, you know, one of the the things that uh, actually that that Michelle uh, Dandeluk, who was on the last episode, brought up with us and that we do talk about from time to time is that when I say risk assessment, it might mean something different than I don't, I don't think it means something different from what Ben says when he says risk assessment now because we've been doing this podcast and I've sort of brainwashed him into to my way of looking at things. But when you when you hear the words risk assessment as an industry person, um, what does that mean to you? And do you th- and and you know a little bit about the work that we do in, in quantitative risk assessment. What um, what comes to your mind when you hear risk assessment, and how is risk in your mind? If it is different, how is risk assessment different from hazard analysis, which is something that, that gets used quite a lot in the food industry? Okay, so you're right. I spent ten years uh, in Wales at the university there, and and I think that that helped absolutely shape my thinking. Um, about food safety and food safety management. And then uh, now that you've name-checked um, Michelle, another great Canadian who abandoned us, um, but we still love her. Um, so she also decided that the weather was too much for her. So I, I don't know if, if personally to me it, it means something significantly different. And I guess, um, oh, but, but before we go on, um, the work that you're doing on things like quantitative risk assessment that's something that we're trying to do a bit more of as well. And, and I know you've shared some information with me and I, and I, I want to publicly um, on your podcast. I mean, I don't know how many listeners you get, but they will all know that I thank you for it. Um, and There's I'm doing four, some work four for, people. okay, they will all know. And actually, I probably know them all by name, so I'll probably just drop them an email <laughs> afterwards saying, just so you know, I publicly thanked um, Dr. Schaffner. Um, but you also, I don't know if you know that I'm also um, now on the staff at the University of Central Lancaster in the UK. I, I have a, a post there. Um, a full time, if that makes sense, in that I am now on staff there and I'm doing some teaching, distance learning there. So it's nice to go back into doing that. I'm working with uh, Dr. Carol Wallace uh, at that facility. So I think we use risk assessment perhaps a bit looser than, than we would do in an academic way. Um, and we probably occasionally, um, again, in a non academic way, we may confuse hazard analysis and risk assessment and as a VP of food safety in a plant and dealing with people in the plant I'm not overly worried if we use the terminology slightly differently as long as we all have the understanding of what we mean. I think one of the challenges with us on risk assessment um, 
it's it's almost more about risk significance. So we know, and, and, and you have been a great advocate, that there is no such thing as zero risk, and, and I love that. Um, the other thing um, we can touch on after this answer is um, when I hear people say food safety is not a competitive issue, that's a whole other load of nonsense, and we can, we can touch on that. Um, we use risk assessment more around risk significance. Uh, so we will factor in... Uh, a whole host of things that may not necessarily have academic numbers behind it. So, for example, in in, in dealing with almonds, we all know um, Dr. Linda Linda Harris, uh, the, the almond queen, and all the great work that Linda did uh, with the ABC. And that gave us some great data. And, and we actually just took a lot of that data and we looked at it and said, how useful is this for us processing other nuts? So if that time and temperature will work for an almond which is typically the size and the shape and this density, will we be able to use it for a peanut, for example? So we're not going to reinvent the wheel because we are not an academic institute and we don't have that resource. But we will take the, the data and use it. Um, so for us, risk assessing is more about, uh, it's, it's really about uh, the likelihood um, that we will get a problem with our product and we will... Uh, impact consumers or customers in some way. So we will look at things. One of my biggest challenges, to be honest, and thankfully, in a way, isn't micrological food safety. I think that um, there's so much good data out there on processing characteristics, times and temperatures, um, you know, lethal rates and, and all of those things that, that we're very fortunate for all the work that the academic community has done in that. Um, an area that I would want to see a lot more work done on is things like uh, physical hazards, and foreign body complaints, because we will handle several tons of peanuts a day. And my probably my number one complaint, and it's not that high, but my number one complaint in all the nuts we sell is pers a person found a fragment of shell. So you found a bit of peanut shell in a bag of peanuts. And I don't want you to get that. I don't want you to be upset. Yeah. But really, if, if we're managing to get our process to such an extent that we get one or two small pieces of shell per ton of nuts, that's inordinately uh, good levels of control, I think. The problem is no one is sharing that data. So, Ben, you talked about big data, but I would like people to share data around um, typical numbers of naturally occurring body body complaints. So how many pieces of peanut shell they're getting in peanuts or how many, you know, pieces of insect they might get in, in some produce that's, that's in-ground growing. Again, I'm moving, I'm still myself moving on. Back to your risk assessment. Don, we would do risk significance more than, so we will not do things like um, try, and, uh, try and allocate uh, a value to uh, the significance any more than we know what's out there. So we know, for example, nobody can, can be producing peanuts that doesn't know salmonella is a risk and it's something we want to manage. So, But how significant that risk is, is it on the up, is it on the down? We don't know. And that's why the work that you're doing on things like quantitative risk is, is brilliant for us. But we know that that's a risk that we want to manage because we know it's significant to our industry. We want to manage foreign body complaints and foreign body issues because they, we know they are significant to our injury. In terms of the injury, I'm going to say, and again, I wouldn't want to experience it anymore. I actually did break a tooth on, on a hard candy. Um, if someone bites into a, a piece of walnut shell and they may, God forbid, they may crack a tooth, 
And that's distressing, I get it. But it's unlikely to be lethal. But I probably spend more time trying to manage and mitigate those risks because that's the most commonly occurring. So it's not for us, it's not simply just um, the severity because the reality is the severity of the illness or injury that we see most often is quite low severity, but high, a slightly higher frequency. And again, we have to, to come at it a slightly different way. We're probably looking to manage, thankfully, we're looking to manage um, lower severity risks with a higher frequency because thankfully, due to all the good work that's been done, we know our higher severity risks are, are cross-contamination through allergens, um, our risks associated with failure to properly process uh, nuts and have salmonella and E. coli and other issues. We know that that data is great. So risk assessment to us is, is interesting because we still use the, the concepts of severity and likelihood, but in a way, probably likelihood is our bigger driver because we feel that all the information we've got on severity is, is well managed and, and we're thankful for it. So it's a slightly different, I guess, a slightly different look. And that's why it's risk, risk significance because everyone thinking, oh, my God, you guys will be panicking about cross-contamination of allergens, or you'll be panicking about salmonella in nuts. And, and the upside is we don't panic because I have good people, but we concern ourselves. You're right, we do concern ourselves with those two, but we probably spend, in reality, way more time on managing foreign body risks and physical hazards simply because of their significance. So I think that's the difference between an academic thought process and, and the reality at the sharp end. Yeah, no, that's that's really good, and I appreciate your calling attention to the the problems with physical hazards. And I would say that it's it's unfortunate that um, it's not unfortunate that people do spend so much time studying microbial food safety because that's great. But the the, the problem is that there's not a lot of resources, and there's not a lot of academics who do any work at all with with physical hazards and technologies for controlling them. And, and not that there's not work being done, it's just that it's not being done uh, necessarily in uh, in the universities. And so, um, yeah, where do you go for information? I know when companies come to me and ask for information on physical hazards, there's like one book I can point them to, and there's a handful of articles. Whereas if you you talk about salmonella and nuts, I, I could bury you in publications, right? Because there's just so many out there. Um, yeah. But, but, uh, but there, yeah, and so what, what is out there, it tends to be proprietary. Companies tend not to share it, uh, or it tends to be people who have, uh, you know, techn- sorting technologies, you know, uh, other private companies that sell a technology that you could use to, to control those uh, to control those those hazards uh, in in your facility, and so it, it really and you're is, right. yeah an area where there's and, just not a lot that's publicly known. Yeah, and we do. So we, right. as a company, again, Trophy Foods, we have um, some vision sorting equipment, and it does a great job in looking for things that are not supposed to be. So it's it's a falling film um, mm-hmm. X-ray vision type technology yep. where you, you basically put the nuts up to the, a high level and you drop in a very thin film and then it spots stuff that's wrong and it jets air out. It's quite sort of Star Trekky to look at. It's great. But there's still an efficiency level there. Um, It might be 95% effective, which is great. But that still means that, you know, a couple of pieces of shell are going to get through and therefore we're going to have to deal with that. Um, And and again, we could, and and, and food safety isn't for free, we could take all the stuff that um, we could put a, a a tote of nuts through this machine, you know, let it throw out what it throws out at 95% effectiveness. We could take that tote and put it back through 
and it might find a couple more yep yeah, and so on but every time we run that typically i'm going to 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 round them up to run a ton of of nuts through that machine costs about a thousand dollars a ton now that's that's the operating and costs and, and and machine equipment depreciation and so on so it's 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 not cheap uh, we, we do it because it's important but i could do it two or three times but that will take your 99 cents bag of peanuts don and make it 299 yep uh, because it's not for free and therefore this is where we have to do it so we believe we've managed most of the risks we fell we fall well with under the usda guides on foreign bodies and part insect parts and and testa and so on that, that, that's out there for the commodities again and that's an area they need to be looked at because most of them have been around since the 50s and and we've moved on now, there's a whole area that that perhaps the usda and fda could be focusing on there um because the, the industry would absolutely benefit from it benefit from it but you're right but in terms of and, and I've, I've put a call out on a couple of um, linkedin pages to say pe if people are willing to share the data confidential uh, confidentially um i'd like to produce a paper on typical foreign body levels what would be considered um good and, and, and a world-class level of performance so how many um, and again, I'm more interested in the the, um, the intrinsic foreign bodies. So, how many pieces of shell might you get in in a nut, or how much uh, you know insect damage might you get in some 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 grapes, some produce? Okay, and even I'm now saying produce. So I need to stop that. Um, produce. Okay, that's how it's said. Back to getting the accent. Uh, produce. So, <laughs> I, I think that I would love to do that, and and maybe, just maybe, there's there's an opportunity for. Um, an IFP, um, PDG, or a good research student to, to somehow reach out to people who are and start with the companies who are at the higher end. Start with the certified companies and say, would you share your data confidentially? I'll do all the analysis, I'll run all the figures, and I will feed back and say, Gordon, you, you, I was about to say you guys, that's another thing I picked up since being in North America, <laughs> uh, you guys, your company are typically finding 0.001% foreign bodies in your finished product. Okay? That's actually in the 95th percentile. It's a very good performance. However, okay, what we have noticed, according to the other data, you're, you're only in the 50th percentile for this other issue. And therefore, I would know much better where to focus my attention in terms of improving complaints. Because again, it's a cost-benefit analysis. I can put those nuts back through our biases equipment time and time and time again. But there is a cost, you know, at some point I'm going to spend $1,000 to maybe remove one very small sh uh, shell fragment that may or may not actually injure someone, that may or may not even make it into the pack. So again, as a, as a business, it's, it's also quite interesting, um, and coming from an academic background and then coming into manufacturing, to be conscious of, the, you know, the cost of something versus the, the benefit. Um, and it is back to, and I'm glad you, you, you say it often, it's back to the whole notion of zero risk food. Mm -hmm. um, people need to know if you're grabbing a big handful of, pardon me, a big handful of nuts and um, chucking them into your mouth, and you, you may get a piece of skin that you don't want, or sadly, and thankfully very infrequently, you may get a small piece of shell, um, and there will be, you know, you will be unhappy. Hopefully, that'll be the worst that will happen. If you do, you may crack a tooth. Um, we probably get, as a company maybe one or two complaints of that severity a year. 
where people have alleged that they have tracked a tooth on something that they found, a nut that they found in a, in a product or a piece of shell. Um, and again, I, I, I don't know how good that person's dentition was beforehand. Um, you know, so would they have tracked a tooth on something else if it's a, a tooth that was, ha- you know, had a lot of filling in it anyway. But nonetheless, it's not something we see a lot of, but something we spend a lot of time managing. Um, it's a bit like metal detection. Uh, as the number of people, and, and, and one of the other things that really gets on um, the nerves of, of manufacturers, sorry, I'm not speaking on behalf of all manufacturers, any manufacturer I deal with, is where we are told by enforcing authorities um, that certain things have to be a CCP. Uh, and I think, well, you don't know the process. And so the number of people that insist that metal detection must be a critical control point, but it's probably about the t- number 10 foreign body that most manufacturers get to deal with. It just so happens there's technology out there that metal detects, therefore we can have it as a CCP. My, my gut would say if the very first ever technology that was developed was going to find bone or glass or something else, then we'd have glass detection as a CCP. Um, I, I, and, and actually, I think going forward, I think we need to move away from metal detection and more into general foreign body detection because metal is not the number one complaint at all. And, and, I, and I don't have the figures to hand, in terms of the types of foreign body complaint that we get, metal might be lucky to make the top ten. But well, and, we and, told, and then we and, told and, the CP. Yeah, well, and and this is where uh, this is where a risk assessment or a risk based approach makes sense because you could look at the frequency of metal contamination versus the frequency of bone versus the frequency of nut fragment, and you could look at the effect of the technology on mitigating those, and you could decide from a risk a true a true risk based perspective. Yeah, guess what? We have ten times the the risk uh, from nut fragments and 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 you know to, and and lower risk from metal fragments, and therefore um, it's actually this this technology that we have over here that's dealing with nut fragments that actually is the critical control point. The metal, the metal is not, and, right? And we do that. Yeah. And, and, and so, but interestingly, we are still told by customers that they want metal detection to be a CCP. Ah, right. And that's, have, right. That's a different, that's a different situation, right? Like, yeah, but we, but we actually, a, uh, go on, Ben, sorry. Yeah. I was going to say, I mean, that, that becomes a, uh, almost a negotiation or a discussion where, part of, of your challenge becomes explaining that risk-based approach, yeah. right? And, like, yeah. And you can, or you can choose the battles you want to fight. Right. Um, and as we have the metal detectors. We have great metal detectors in our company. We have fairly decent sensitivity on, on most of the lines. We can, but we, and, and a lot of manufacturers do, um, there, a lot of manufacturers now have two types of CCPs. They have CCPs, which are critical control points, and then we also have CCPs, which are customer control points. And we simply just do them because it's just easier to do that. And, and, and I have the equipment and I have the machinery, so let's do it. But the fact is that we just don't, thankfully, I'm, I'm pleased, we just don't find many big issues because we're, we have fairly well-maintained equipment. We have sieves and filters in place to, to, to pick out anything that might have worked into the system. So, again, more focused. But it's because we have, unfortunately, um, and, and it links a lot to enforcement as well, we have some enforcement activity where the people undertaking that have absolutely no real concept of, of the risk associated with that kind of commodity or that kind of manufacture. And here in Canada, we've got the Safe Foods for Canadians Act coming on, and lots more commodities will be covered in that. 
and and we have people visiting to tell us how good or how bad we are who wouldn't know they probably couldn't identify half the nuts that we handle they couldn't say oh that's a filbert and that's a peanut and that's a that's an almond and that's a pecan i mean a lot of them might not even know that level then they're coming to tell us how good or bad we are right right so so again more more work on i think if they took a better risk-based approach to to the enforcement and the follow-up and and asking us to truly justify why we believe that's an appropriate level of control that would be way more beneficial of course it would require a lot of talent and 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 there isn't and we both we all not we both all three of us know that sadly there's not enough good people come into food safety as a as a career um but despite the three of us it's still not seen as sexy and i don't get that at all um because i would have thought you know like being sex on a stick, we would be getting people desperate to come and work in food safety. But it's not seen as a sexy job and it's something people want to do. And therefore, we just don't have a lot of talent coming into to the industry. And I think that that's something people in universities, people like yourself who are out there doing outreach work and so on, need to, need to be getting better people in because we will fail. Um, if we don't get better people in, we'll have another level of control, another level of enforcement, another level of bureaucracy that adds zero value to the safety of the food and doesn't actually protect the consumer. It just gives them a feel-good factor, but that's based on nothing. It's just, yeah, I feel better, but I don't know why I feel better. I just do. And, and I really don't like that. I, I like to feel better because of actual facts and figures. Um, but that, again, that's the whole other um, a whole other discussion on getting some talent into this industry. And um, I don't know what age either of you gents are. Um, from memory, uh, Ben, you're slightly younger than me. Um, Dr. Schaffner, I think you're probably slightly younger than me, but it's only less slightly than Ben. We won't be around, we won't be around forever. Um, and, and, and where are the, the next people with this level of enthusiasm? doing the podcasts and, and getting out there and encouraging people. That, that's really what I want to see. And that's why I go back to IFP. The, the student group and the, and the young professional group, they are the future. And I think all three of us have actually spoken at student group lunch and trying to, to get people more enthused. But again, we're preaching to the converted. They're already in our industry. It's, it's right. getting people who don't see this as a career um, and, and, and more outreach work around education and schools is, is something um, I'd like to see a lot of. And, and, and here in Trophy Foods, again, and, and, and we're far from perfect. I don't, I don't want people thinking, I think what we do is wonderful. But we work with local schools and, and local um, school boards, and we will have people and students come and visit, and we'll give them factory tours, and we'll explain what we do and why we do it and stuff, because we want, hopefully, that one or two people just creates the spark that I got when I did the tour of the, 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 the food science facility in Glasgow. Maybe that person just catches the spark and says, do you know what? I, I think that's something I would like to do. And I want to be, uh, you know, work in that industry, but that's our big challenge. Um, notwithstanding um, food safety isn't for free. And my other favorite um, food safety is not competitive issue. Um, yeah. That's a whole other. And Dr. Schaffner, I think we talked about this maybe when I come back to IFP. It won't be next year because um, of other commitments, but maybe the year after, I'd like to actually have a symposium on that topic because um, I think people who say oh, food safety is not competitive are people who don't actually have to spend any money on food safety. Because I can tell you, we spend a lot of money on food safety, and I want to make sure 
our salespeople and our customers know they can make a choice. They can go to another company and save one cent per bag on a product. But when you have a problem, realize you could have come to us, okay, and you could have actually benefited from our investment in food safety and food safety training and equipment, but you consciously chose to save a penny. So food safety is a competitive issue because I could we could make our products cheaper if I didn't put everything through the Vices machine at $1,000 a tonne, if I didn't spend tens of thousands of dollars every year on all my staff on training, if I didn't invest hundreds of thousands in cleaning chemicals. So, you know, it's very easy for people to say it's not competitive when you're not the person spending the money. Um, and, you, and you see some things going on in the industry, you think, yeah, but I wouldn't eat that product. But again, that's a, that's a story, that's a horse of a different color and a story for another day. Well, well, and in fact, I think we did have a session at IAFP, um, and I think Doug Powell was part of that. Um, he, he ended up talking about uh, the size of uh, his wife's breasts, um, so um, we, should, we best uh, <laughs> let, let, that, let that go yeah. for another day. Uh, yeah, oh, let's, in fact, let's leave that going forever. That never, yeah. that never, that type of shock jockery is uh, not <laughs> is not what I want to hear. Uh, let let, let <laughs> me. Uh, no, it's, uh, I don't want to. I don't want to leave the uh, the competitive uh, uh, aspect here because in in the uh, sense of all things old or new again, I have been asked to participate in a roundtable at the 2018 IAFP meeting uh, on a debate that is sponsored by Ilse. So it sounds very similar to what led to some shock jockery. Uh, quote, should food safety be used as a moneymaker for competitive advantage? Absolutely. Question mark. Yes. Well, the answer is yes. Yes, yes, yes. So, and, so and I want to say my very good friend Gordon it can sum this up in a word, and that yes. word is yes. Drop so mic. You, you, so you know um, for last IFP, before I let you go on, um, you had what would Linda do, bracelets. <laughs> I do remember say, that. Yeah, I want you to have bracelets. Give it and say, Gordon says yes. Okay, just to that that will save a lot of time. It'll get the meeting back on track. No, that's a great symposium and a great idea. Of well, course, it's, well, of course, yeah, it's here's here's that's the problem yeah. uh, with it is that I've been asked to debate and present the no side of this question. Oh, there you And Dr. Uh, Bob Buchanan uh, has been invited to present the yes side of this debate, and I believe that we may have been transposed uh in in our uh in our position so you'll see so we we've not uh sort of fought this out yet i've, <laughs> I've said yes i'll do it um but at some point in the next four or five months um I, i'm either going to lobby to be uh presenting the yes side or i'm not but what i'm going to do is what kelly stevens our our friend from uh, general mills did uh, when she and I debated uh, a question about millennials and food safety, where she was given one side and and she um, ended up saying the other thing or were asking the wrong question. So I'm going to come back to you, Gordon. Yeah, uh, once we uh, decide exactly where I'm going to fit on this to figure out how I can say yes, but by at being asked to present the no, almost yeah. a, uh, a a switch. Yeah. No. Absolutely. It is an important topic. As I say, similar to, and, and, and again, you know, similar to this notion that there is zero risk food safety, and we don't know where that came from, uh, people just have to look at the evolution of um, food safety management systems and the cost involved. So none of us are ridiculously old, um, and most of us and will remember when 
in food manufacturing. And I do remember I was actually working in food manufacturing when the requirement to start wearing hairnets came around. So it's not that long ago. I when I started in in in, in manufacturing, hair not hair nets were not common practice. Right? Now, and I say that because I am bald. People wear hair nets, um, even so. You know, I'm I have no hair. Every hair on my head is is accounted for. I can't afford to lose it. Um, so we're now in a place where in, in, in less than a generation, it's now the requirement. Um, we've all seen those pictures of people standing outside butcher shops with all the carcasses hanging up outside. And I remember in, in Scotland, in the butcher shop near our home, all the carcasses were hanging on the customer side. I used to touch them and think, oh, is that what dead flesh feels like? Or I used to push them against my little brother and make him cry. Um, because because I was a horrible big brother. You can teach Jack and Sam that one if you want. Um, so I used to push this dead carcass against my brother Ralph, and then he would start crying because this dead cow had touched him. And again, that's not that long ago. So you have to think that if food safety wasn't competitive and it wasn't important, why would we have invo- why would we all have involved different requirements? Um, but an int- and it's certainly worth discussing because I'll tell you most importantly. People need to understand this is why products cost what they what they do. I right. could I could I could refuse and, and say, okay, let's not spend any money on testing. And I'll tell you the other thing I wish I had done. I wish I'd invested in third party labs because those guys make a fortune. Okay. I don't know. Uh, what kind of you know, and, and I'm not. I'm going to be conscious as I say this. I don't know what deals go on behind the scenes, but the amount of stuff that we have to send for testing, and I'm thinking we do all that test, or more importantly, they will then you know taste it and say, oh yeah, these nuts taste nice, or they don't taste nice. Well, actually, we know that long before you do because we had tested them ourselves, and we've had a complaint or not had a complaint. So. Um, but the, yeah, so all the money in testing to send a sample out for organoleptic testing or for 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 micro, okay? and it, it, it's it's an amazing amount of money that's spent on trying our absolute best to get as much data as we can and to manage and mitigate our our, our risk and and the likelihood of there being a problem. So if it wasn't competitive, why are we not? You know, why don't I just save all my money? And, and not spend anything, and then we can do our peanuts at a cent less per pack, and and, and hopefully people will will be better, yeah, or, or or happier. So yeah, it, it's it's not for free, and 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 I just wish people would understand that uh, that there is a, a cost associated with, with doing what we do. Yeah, I, absolutely. I wanna I wanna come come back to. Um, a little, a little bit about where you and I met. Uh, well, not met, but I, I guess I mean you. You mentioned the story about uh, meeting at IFP and becoming uh, friends, um, fast, fast friends there. But I, I had a chance when I was in graduate school to come visit you while you were in Cardiff and stay with you for a week and um, go to UIC at, at that time, which is now called Cardiff Met University yeah. or something. Yeah. Um, and, and and just see um, the the type of teaching, the integration that um, that you that you had uh, with the industry, the work that um, 
that the entire group was doing around consumer food handling research. And, and that trip, I look back at that often as, as really a, um, inspiration point in, in my career, because for the first time I, you know, I left my little enclave of Guelph where we had passionate folks all together and we were our own little, you know, band of misfits and, and went to, to see you where there were six or, or eight, um, individuals all really interested in all the things that I was interested in. You are all together at the same spot. And, um, that's, I, you know, I, I don't know, you know, as, as you look back on, on your experience there, if you, if you see how from the outside, how special that is or, or was, um, and, and that it doesn't, there, there still isn't a place quite like what UIC was. Um, I, yeah, it's, the, it's yeah. pretty, it's pretty exciting. Yeah, it was. And it was great at the time. And I so say that I am, as I had applied for the job at UIC because, um, and again, for personal reasons, I, I told you, and I think, um, I had a partner who had passed away not long before then, and I was just looking to do something different. And I saw the job advertised at UIC, and I thought, I can do that. I've been to two universities, and I'm sure, um, you know, I've had some really awful lectures and some good ones, and I'm sure I could fit somewhere in that continuum. Um, but it was just fun. You're right. It was fun to be there. And I think what was fun about the UIC group was it was a bit of everything. There was teaching, there was research, there was consultancy. And everybody was happy to share and everybody was happy to work together. And it was one of the things that I do envy um, now um, from the outside, that academic freedom to ask those pertinent questions. And you're right, it was just a, you know, you talk about your little band of misfits. It was just a slightly bigger band of misfits, to be honest. Um, and, 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 and we love them dearly. And, and, and our dear friend, um, uh, David Lloyd, is still there. Um, and he's still being a lazy bitch of course, but, um, <laughs> and I will tell him that I've posted that because that's, that's a fact. Now he's done some great work. David, and, and again, I know you're both very friendly with him. David's done some great work in integrating the industry and the Welsh food industry and getting them to take advantage of knowledge and research and so on. Right, and I right. think, I think that's one area where a lot of us and a lot of other countries and a lot of other institutes could do so much better. The, the, the fact that Dave has gone out there and, and sold what they do and, and got the investment and then pushing it straight back to the Welsh food economy and getting better trained people in there and getting higher standards and so on. So that I think that UIC group was very fortunate at the time. I, I was very fortunate. I got some research money from um, the Food Standards Agency in the UK to do some work on the Butcher Shops Initiative and based on the, the, the terrible E. coli incident in Scotland that happened. Uh, the John Barr incident, um, and then not long uh, after that, there was the whole Lanark. Sorry, my apologies. Not long before that, there'd been the whole Lanark Blue uh, right. dairy issue, and, and I got some some research money from FSA again to look at on farm pasteurisation and so on. So I think it was just nice being in that. I think the I think UIC were very fortunate because there was not a lot of other people doing that. So when there was the opportunity for people to invest or people to go there, that's where you migrated to. So you're right, I, I, a bit like meeting yourself and, 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 and Don at IFP and, 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 and the people who I know you've had in your podcast and, and I consider to be very good friends, uh, you know, Michelle and uh, Michelle Danlock, who you mentioned, and Dr. Linda Harris. Um, who, who, um, and, and very quick story, neither of you know this, one of my, um, my, my head of QA here, 
a very lovely lady called Jeanette, Jeanette Su Ping, um, is a bit of a, a big fan of Linda. Okay, obviously having worked in the nuts sector, um, and whenever I would say something to, to Jeanette, she would say, well, I'm sure Dr. Linda Harris said this. And I said, well, I'm sure Dr. Linda didn't. And Dr. Linda's a friend of mine. And if you stop using Dr. Linda against me. So when we went to um, a conference a couple of years ago, and Don, you spoke and, and Ben, you Skyped in. Um, I introduced Jeanette to Linda, and it was just one of those great moments where she, someone who got to meet her, and I said, Linda, please tell Jeanette to stop using, uh, you, know, using you against me. Um, but I'm very lucky. I think that those networks that you get, um, I, so I think that you're right. It was a bit of an aha moment for you to say, yeah, there are more misfits than just me and my small band in Guelph, and this is clearly something we want to do. Uh, meeting the work that Don's doing, I, I, and, and I think that... Um, Certainly in my lifetime as, as a food safety professional, and, and, I, and I'd like to think I'm going to work through uh, for a few years, yeah, and, and well, unless I win the lottery, which is my next, as we know, my next bucket list thing to do after this great podcast. Um, but if I keep working, um, I want to see quantitative risk assessment really make an impact um, because there's too much of this nonsense about, oh, the risk is high or the risk is medium or the risk is low. And nobody knows what that means. It just sounds nice. And what they're really saying is, well, I think the risk of X is slightly higher than the risk of Y. But I don't know how much higher. I have no idea why I think that. Um, so actually, I want to see the work that's going on um, at the academic level really translate into stuff we can use. And, and that's what I want to be pushing. And, and when I come back to, um, I say, my plan, I have, unfortunately, well, unfortunately, I have commitments next year um, in 2018 when IFP is happening. Um, but 2019 IFP, um, I, I actually have that um, blocked out in my diary. I want to get back. It'll be in a few years then. Um, and hopefully I'm going there and I'm, I'm seeing more around solutions and, and seeing that the work that, that people like yourselves are doing, uh, Don, on, on risk assessment and, and the outreach and the education work that, that Ben and your group are doing. I want to see how that translates into solutions and what I can bring back to, to bring into manufacturing. Because my, my group, we are the front end. And, and if, if we go, if, so, if you get it wrong in the lab or you get it wrong in, in thinking as a paper um, or a piece of research and your experiment doesn't quite work, you get the opportunity to, to redo that or rethink that experiment. Someone gets it wrong in food manufacturing, someone is injured by that and, and someone is made ill. We don't get a second chance. And, and, and it's not for say, oh, we're sorry. Um, that you were injured, of course we're sorry, but you're so sorry is a barren abyss at that point. I don't need your apology. I need you to be getting it right. So I, I like the, the groups that we're doing at UIC, the stuff you're doing at Guelph. Don, I know you and, and I, I know the names of a couple of your, your research group and, and the other work that, you know, we can talk about people like Linda and Michelle and Renee and so on. I want to see that translate into solutions. Okay, and, and I've offered it to anybody, and I will say again to the Elizabeth podcast, if you want a manufacturing site to come and review and do some work on and see what's happening, and if you have an idea and you want to test it out, and, and you, you want some genuine, real live guinea pigs to do it, my facility is open to, to that. I've said this all along. I have a great boss who completely loves the fact that I have a network of people like yourself to take advantage of and completely supports it. So absolutely, um, you know, absolutely. The, the more that we can do in these um, these little um, groups of, of, of my food safety geeks and and um, your, your your merry band of men and women, yeah, I, I think it's great. And I do miss it. I have to say, I, I miss that part of the 
um, academic freedom, I guess, and, and to be able to sit back and, and perhaps make a mistake, you know, sitting at my desk or, or in a lab um, and, and then being able to correct it um, because, because I don't hear we don't get second chances. Um, and, and, and so that's why I, I get super excited about the work that's going on and I get super frustrated when I just see a lot of people talking about the problems because we know the problems. Start pushing that to solutions, and and you know, and all together, food safety will be a step better. But we are so much better than we were, and we will be so much better in the future. Uh, thanks to, 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 I think that combination of of the research groups and and the enthusiastic, um, you know, people working in industry and and people who were engaging the, the younger generation. Um, I, I'm very excited about the future of food safety, food safety management. Well, you know what they say, Gordon. If you're not part of the yeah. solution, uh, you're part of the problem. And I'm I'm glad that you've blocked off uh, IAFP 2019 to be in your calendar. Yes, absolutely. I'm 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 very excited. I haven't been for a few years. Obviously, I'm very lucky because I I do um, you know we chat and comment daily on Facebook posts, and I've sent you emails when I've had a question. And again, and and IAFP, I, I haven't gone for several reasons. But you know, clearly, coming from um, industry. Uh, I have to budget for an, mm. an amount of money for mm-hmm. trips and education and so on. And and I would love to um, be the kind of person, it's a Scottish person, I'd love to be the kind of person, I'm just going to go to IFP because I love it. <laughs> okay. And I want to sing karaoke. Um, I, because obviously, as you know, I am responsible for Dr. Chapman's karaoke addiction. I, I'm, I'm a, I am. Oh, I know that. I mean, uh, you know, it's... But you know, I could have got you addicted to stuff that's way much worse, to be fair. So, <laughs> you know, if that's the worst thing that your wife can blame me for, then I'm not a bad friend. Um, but I want to be back and showing people how karaoke should be done again and organizing it properly. Because I do hear through the great brain bin, it's a bit of a shambles when, when you've done it um, without me there. Um <laughs> So, and actually, the, the well, three, to, to be honest, three, Gordon, that's what everything that, that uh, Ben's involvement looks like. We just we just sort yeah, of accept right. that about him. It's it's yeah, it's his yeah, it's his right. signature move. You know, it's Absolutely, it's just his yeah, uh, his just mark. The, how shambolic can it be? And, <laughs> exactly. and the whole the whole Chapman scale of of complete shambles to an incomplete shambles. But there's a sham, shambolicism or whatever the word is. No, actually, someone did say to me. Um, yeah, oh, the, the, I think it was two minutes ago. Oh, the karaoke, it was a shambles. And I can tell you it wasn't my partner, okay, because he, <laughs> uh, he wouldn't come back and say, well, that Ben's... It was actually one of your other friends whose name I won't mention, um, but he's quite a good singer and wears, used to wear glasses, I think. Um, so, no. So, anyway, I do, I'm really looking forward to getting back, Don, and I do follow what's going on, um, but as an industry, and, and again, I know IFP, and as a, you're a former uh, president, um, and Ben, you might be a future president, but there's always that worry. Um, that, uh, Un- unlikely. <laughs> yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it's unlikely, but possible. Everything is possible. Um, yeah, no. no. But anyway, and, and you would actually, um, I'm sure it, when, and I think your time will come, you will do a great job, I have no doubt. But nonetheless, I think, um, you know, it's a great institute and, and it's still my favorite. You know, I still retain my membership every year. I pay my subs, even though I don't necessarily go to the annual meeting because I do want access to the information that's coming out. But but we just have to be conscious. Um, and I say this, and I, I mention it every year when the program committee is put together. Um, please be conscious of the manufacturers. I know we might make up a, a proportion, a big proportion of the membership, but for us to give up time and be away from our environment. Um, for three, four days 
uh, to, to partake of the, the conference and to allow ourselves to immerse in it and feel comfortable leaving everything behind that I don't, I'm not getting these phone calls about an issue. Um, I, I have to look at a program that says, I absolutely, there's stuff I want to see every day, notwithstanding the fun I will have singing karaoke with my friends or, or having a drink with, with people. All of that, that, that goes without saying, but it's a justification of the cost of going. So um, I've, I've not been for a couple of years and, and, and I, I would think that the program will have evolved sufficiently over the last few years that there will absolutely be stuff that will catch my eye. And, if, and I will absolutely, of course, as well, look to get involved in some symposia or some round tables if, if I feel I have a, a valid point to make. So, yeah, no, I'm, I'm very excited about that and, and getting to see everybody in person. And I've got a year and a half to become a skinny bitch like you two, apparently. So um, I'm going to... But start my diet today. You got a, you got a year and a half. Uh, Twenty to IFP twenty nineteen is uh, is in the summer. You got a year and a half. More, a more than half. a year oh, and a half. That's plenty of more time. Than a year and a half. We'll be we'll, we'll all be um we'll be all, all skinny together. So, then, so so here's here's the thing, Gordon. What you have to sure. do is eat less. I, I know I know that's complicated, but I can, <laughs> yeah, eat I, less, I, exercise I, more. No, but, but mostly mostly eat less. I mean, exercise is great, but mostly you have to eat less. Um, you can't do it uh, with exercise, and and there's apps out there to help you. And uh, you know, it's not it's not sexy, but uh, you know, step by, it's like food safety, right? Step by step. Uh, you, yeah, I guess. You get there. Yeah, and, and I actually have lost a little bit of weight this year, um, and I, I was very driven at the start of the year, and then it kind of fell by the wayside. So the upside is. Um, my weight, if I keep going, my weight on December the 31st will be significantly less than it was on the 1st of January this year. So, so upside, you're right. I've got a year and a half to, to get into my, my target zone. Um, that's the first thing. And the second thing, of course, as you both know, I have a karaoke machine in my house. And I'm, right. I'm out there, I'm singing like George Michael, to be honest. You're going, I'm going to blow you guys away. So um, you better get up before me because if you go after me, you're going to be sound terrible. I'm just giving you warning <laughs> now. Get your name in first. No, we're having fun. And again, come to Canada and sing karaoke with, with Andrew and I. We'd, we'd love to see you all. And, and, and for, and, I'm guessing Gordon, a lot. And let's be clear, Gordon, you're extending that invitation to everyone who listens to the podcast, right? Everyone who, yeah. <laughs> all four. Know, all four of them. I probably know them all by name. So yes, of course, any anybody that's there, uh, more than welcome. Um, I've seen, no, I haven't seen people for a couple of years, and and I do miss my food safety gigs. I, I say I'm, I, I do love the fact that we have Facebook and, and and Twitter and stuff. I follow I follow everybody who has a Twitter account. As you know, you should see me as one of your followers. Um, so I, I follow you, and, and obviously we're Facebook friends because we, we we contact. So I feel that I'm I'm still. You know, engage with people, but I do miss um, the, the the face-to-face camaraderie or the ability to see something happen um, and la- just start laughing together because you're on the same page and and you see some presentation. It's a car crash, and you think, and you just look at the person and you know what they're thinking, and that kind of stuff is 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 what I miss. And as well as obviously, to be fair, most of the presentations are very good. Um, but yeah, but I'd say I, I do remember the time when when I said to Ben. He was sitting beside me, a very nervous young man. And I actually said, you know, the only way we can be worse than the, these, some of these presenters is we actually die when we stand up there. And I always, I have that as my, I have, now have that as my standard. As long as I don't die during a presentation, <laughs> probably, not, 
probably not the worst presentation they're hearing on the day. So, well, and and considering that uh, Gordon, that you didn't die uh, while you're on the podcast, die. we can we can cross Absolutely. that cross this up across this check this Bucket off as list. success. And and you no. were you were Gordon as as I'm sure you knew you would be. You you were a fantastic guest uh, because oh, number you. one, um, most people like listen to podcasts because they like funny accents, and so um, so you tick that box. And also, you knew oh, about yeah. food safety, so. <laughs> Win, 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 win. Exactly. Three funny accents. Everybody loves the accent. It's true. I get away with so I know. And the, the great news is, I know I can get away with stuff because of the accent. Um, yeah, people will just look at you and I think, are you actually understanding me though? Uh, or are you just like? Because sometimes I think you just think you're watching an episode of Highlander or some show. I know what you're doing. You're not paying attention to me. Um, so, but no, the accent thing is great. But then, I, of course, I love the the Canadian accent and the American accent. And um, no, I, as I say, food safety is is um, it's a passion. You can't do it. I think you're right. Um, I, you're both passionate people. Most of our, our food safety friends are are very passionate. Um, I think that passion always comes across in whatever people do. And I think that's why people do engage with, with you know, like yourselves and the group of people that I've mentioned and why I engage with them. I, I think I'm very lucky to have people I would consider friends as well as colleagues who are just so passionate about this and who see the importance of it. So I'm, I'm glad I was passionate. I'm glad I didn't swear. Um, Andrew will be so proud of me. He's currently in, in, in Australia. Um, so he's asleep at this point. Um, so when he wakes up, he'll say, you know, win-win. Apparently I did a, an okay job and I didn't swear. So, uh, but you should have him on, you know, um, because he has a different accent. Oh, he has a great but, accent too, yes. And also um, very passionate about food safety. And, and we'll give a viewpoint that um, because obviously the work he's doing in food service um, and stuff is, is very interesting and, and how they're managing their suppliers is, is also quite interesting stuff going on. And as I say, um, so, so future potential future guest, um, and you know, and if you want to ever do the podcast from Canada, you're more than welcome to do it from here <laughs> on location. Perfect. Yeah, do it. And uh, but I'm guessing you're not going to come in if it's already too cold for you in in, in the Carolinas. Ben, you're probably not planning on coming anytime soon. I, I would uh, do it for the podcast. I would. Oh, I would oh, be oh, there. Oh. I, I even went to Minnesota in <laughs> September, which breaks all of my rules. Um, cause it's Sorry. so, so far North, uh, but, but for the pod, for the listeners. Okay. I've uh, never, I've never been to Minnesota. I'm not sure how they take to the fact that you even went to Minnesota. I'm not sure that's a good thing. It's September. I would go yeah, to Minnesota well, at other, at other times of the year, but <laughs> it's a little too late in the year for, uh, weather wise. Okay. Uh, no, we, I mean, we've, we've mentioned this before and Gordon, you might not be aware, but Don and I have done, uh, we did a live, uh, live podcast recording at a, um, at a FDA regional meeting and NEHA meeting in, in Minnesota. And so if there is anybody in, in Canada and, uh, the Toronto area who'd like to host us, uh, for some sort of a meeting and, and we come and do a food safety talk podcast, I'd be into that. I would do it. I'd go even in February. God, oh, you are committed to food safety. And I am. We, That's how committed I am. We, we, we knew Canadians. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, yeah, as a new, as an almost new Canadian, I thank you for your commitment to Canadian food safety. Thank um, you, thank you. No, it's great, and and I say both you gents, as as you know, um, I consider you friends and, and and colleagues and and experts that I go to. So I know I've appreciated the time, probably, you know, and um, you know, whenever you've had a few 
podcast without better accents. You can always reach out if you want the accent thing. Oh, there's uh, there's there's no better accent than yours, Gordon. Come on. Thank you, Doctor Schaffner. <laughs> and I know your lovely wife also thinks that. So and, and love, love to her, love, love to her as well. But she also likes you as a person. She does, and she makes. She's the only non-Scottish person that can make like Scottish tablet. Yeah. Oh, it's, it's so, and, and, and I've said this publicly, and I'll say it on your podcast. Um, you do realize, and it's, it sort of isn't news to you, but I just want to, in recordings, to so don't edit this out, that you clearly both married really well. You do know that, don't you? Oh, I tell her, I tell yes. her all the time. I, I tell them as well. I've told Danny and Kristen that they've married Danny. <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Yeah. So, no, you're, you're very, we're all very lucky to have, to have also have partners and spouses but, uh, that, that completely support uh, what we do. And, absolutely. And I, and I, do you know what? And I think that's part of why we can be passionate because, because we have a, we have a partners, wives, husbands, and, and, and so on um, that really understand. And, and I think part of what they, I guess part of what they love about us clearly as well as our good looks. And our svelte figures. Yeah. Passionate. Yeah. And our, and our svelte bodies. That's right. Um, that's it. It's a is our passion that we're passionate people. So and 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 I I'm pleased to consider yourselves and your spouses as as, as friends. So hopefully we'll get to see you all soon. Um, thank you for allowing me to check this off my bucket list. And any time people want to reach out and come visit in Canada, you're more than welcome. Thank, thank, so thank you, Gordon. you, Gordon. Thanks, thanks for being on the show. We really appreciate it. Have a good one. You too. All right. Bye. Bye. There we go. Oh, there we go. Awesome. There we go. Cool. I, I'm glad he figured out how to hang up because I wasn't going to. Uh, I, yeah. I do. I figured I would just disconnect the call. So. Well, there. That was that was great. There was a that was that was just. Uh, <laughs> we we get to have listen. him on the next time we both have laryngitis. Yeah, it was it was great. He'll, uh, never, he'll never listen to this. No. Um. Awesome. So, hey, so I get to see you again tomorrow. Yeah, I'm so excited. Are you leaving this afternoon or sometime soon? I, yeah, I am. I'm, I leave actually as soon as we finish uh, our our uh, super secret uh, phone call at 10 o'clock. Uh, I'm on my way to the train station. Perfect. Good, good, good. I am. Okay. So I will see what. Let's look two weeks from right now. How do you uh, How do you look uh, like uh, December 11th? 
Uh, December 11th, uh, Monday, December 11th, I am uh, at the Society for Risk Analysis. Oh, right, right. Um, yeah. But I could, I mean, I could try, I could try from a hotel room if you wanted to. We, I, 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 I mean, I when could do you be, back? Oh. When do you leave? Uh, I leave on um, Sunday, okay. the 10th, and I'm back on um the I'm back the evening of the thirteenth, so I could I could do the fourteenth. We could do the fourteenth. We could do the eighth. Uh, fr- that's a Friday, and my Fridays Friday. are, are booked, oh, yeah, Friday's so booked, I could yeah. not do the eighth. I could do. I could do the seventh. I think I could do the seventh too. Let me look. Oh, Let me wow. look here, man. Look at us. I know. Well, because we didn't. We have stuff that we need. We should talk about too. Yes. Um, hang on. I have to check one thing. Because I've I have not managed my calendar, calendar very well, mm. and there is something that is waiting for me. I think it's November or December twelfth that I'm not available. Okay, well I, I'm I'm wide open that whole day. I'm available. Okay, cool. Yes, yeah. So the the seventh is a go. Um, awesome. Why don't we try for like two o'clock? Sure. In the afternoon. That work? Yep. Okay. Let's do that. And then, yeah. Then we got we get, we're gonna get like two more out before Christmas. Whew. Holy! So this is one forty-one. Was 140 what you did with Michelle? No, uh, this is 140. This is 140, okay. Yes. Wait. Yep. What, what we did today was 140. Yes. Yeah. Oh, so, so sorry. The, the seventh is 141. Yeah. Yep. Good. Okay. Yep. Sorry. Excellent. No, you're fine. And then I have the, um, I've got this one. No, no, I'll, I'll do this one. Um, Are you sure? Yeah. Cause it's, Cause I, I just did the Michelle one. I know, but that, that, but that was self-inflicted, right? So, uh, I'll, uh, okay. I, I, I'll do this one and you got, you got 141. So I got 141. Perfect. Yep. All right. I've, I've been uh, listening. Actually, I was because, because it was so easy because I didn't have to talk as much as I usually do. <laughs> um, I, um, actually have a whole list of titles, uh, just from listening. So, oh, awesome. um, I may, uh, I may just uh, shoot you those titles. Um, so Perfect. we can like turn it around, uh, extra, especially fast. I will look for those titles, right? Awesome. The super secret uh, Slack channel. No. <laughs> yeah, we, don't, yes. we don't have one of those. Uh, yes. in, in our in my super secret text to you. That's that, that's jokes funny to about two people. It is. It is. But it's um, it's really just our like how we text normally. So right. It's not. I mean, it's secret because no one else sees our phones. Right. Uh, <laughs> oh, speaking of phones, man. Oh, oh, gosh. Oh, I don't want to hear. About I, it. I, I'm going to show you. I'm going to show you in Washington. I got a thing. I got a whole thing that I'm doing. Oh, so okay. I'm wait. I'm. I'll, I'll tell you the. I'm waiting for the upgrade for my upgrade from uh, AT and T, mm. and then I'm going to switch to T-Mobile, and they're mm. going to pay off my phone. Nice. nice. Yeah. So, but I have to. It, there's a whole process that I, that I my my friendly neighborhood T-Mobile person told me about. Okay. He was like, "Yeah, it's not a good. Just wait." So okay. So cool. I'm waiting. Cool. Well, but I'm. I'm. I, I didn't wait. I'm glad I didn't wait. I. I, know, I love it. I absolutely love it. Uh, I love. I will. I will see you tomorrow. <laughs> All right, we'll see you tomorrow. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye.